Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. To a more perfect union, the U.S. versus Windsor shares a rich tapestry of love, marriage, and the fight for equality. The film chronicles unlikely heroes like Octogenarian, I'm not even saying that, Octogenarian, Edie Windsor, and her attorney, Roberta Kaplan, on their quest for justice. Upon the death of her spouse, Thea Spire Windsor was forced to sell to pay a huge estate tax bill because the government denied federal benefits to same-sex couples. This and many other permutations on this idea of equal rights for all Americans is what's behind this film to a more perfect union, U.S. versus Windsor. We're joined today by the director of the film, and that would be Donna Sicaro. Donna, welcome to Film School. Thanks so much. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, tell me a little bit about your sort of involvement, this sort of what was going on in your mind that you wanted to pursue this film as a documentary. So I run a nonprofit production company with a mission of producing um, films about women, women's issues, and social justice. So I'm always looking for stories that fit into one of those categories, or in this case, I think all of those stories, mm-hmm. all those categories. Um, and what attracted me to this was that you had a story um, of two women coming together, as you said in your intro, of two different generations, uh, taking on the U.S. government and winning. I believe that there are, there are too few stories about women out there and certainly women leaders and women, hero, women heroes, and these women are heroes um, because I believe that they, in, in, in taking on that Herculean task, um, uh, have, have made, and winning, have, have made our country closer to its promise of equality and to a more perfect union. So as you're making this decision to, to, to do this film, what, was, what were sort of your, your primary uh, objectives and what were the things that you felt you were going to have the most sort of difficult time uh, navigating in terms of getting the people involved in the project? What were the sort of the well, challenges ahead of you when you did this? So I, I am, I'm always looking for stories, personal stories that tell a bigger picture, mm-hmm. um, that enable me to tell the history. And one of the things that attracted me to this in particular was that you had so many different stories. And as I peeled away the onion, there were more and more layers. You had um, the story of the case itself, which was the, which is the principal story, but also the original impetus. Uh, because I didn't feel it was getting enough attention, and it became the pivotal case in the marriage equality movement, because after Windsor, all the other states ratified uh, same-sex marriage, and then and then it, it also was the basis on which Obergefell, which then uh, mandated it uh, throughout the country two years later, mm-hmm. uh, was based on Windsor. So the case itself was what was the principal story, but then when you hear about Edie and Thea, the, the, the love story between them and their, their life together and their marriage, mm-hmm. um, which was the basis of the case, yeah. um, you had that story. Then you also had uh, 
the story of how the the lawyer and the plaintiff came together, Edie and R- Roberta Kaplan, Robbie Robbie Kaplan. Um, so it's their union too. So it's their story, and then it's uh, and how the case came about and why Robbie thought it was the perfect case, whereas the gay rights groups that Edie had originally gone to to represent her had turned her down. And then you also have the lawyer's story with her spouse, because she's also a lesbian who um, of a different generation, and yet experienced her own difficulty in coming out and um, and discrimination, and then, you know, her whole family. So there are yeah. all these different stories. And then through them, I was able to tell uh, the story of gay rights in this country uh, and gay history in this country uh, in order to put it all into context. So the challenges then became how to, how much of the history to include and how to tell the history in, in enough detail, but not too much. Um, and, and then, and, and, and yet uh, also then show how how culture shifted, how politics shifted, um, how society shifted towards acceptance, which which seemed like it happened very quickly, but it actually took years. Yeah, yeah, that's that is something that I've seen uh, talked about in other films, even where th- there was a a concerted effort for, as you said, for a long period of time, sort of below the radar, but it was more of a. Uh, a person-to-person kind of outreach, the can the the campaign, and that sounds doesn't even sound like the right word, but the effort in order to push forward on equal rights for all was done in a way that humanized the issue in ways and personalized it and made it more about somebody in my family, someone in my neighborhood, my community that I knew and and had a relationship with. So that that was I a lot of that. Did as you're right, but when it when it came to kind of the political zeitgeist to the country, quote unquote, it seemed like it happened very quickly. So I think yeah. that you're you're absolutely right. I think that what what happened uh, wasn't somebody flipped a switch and somebody went to a courthouse and decided everything was fine. It it it, it didn't happen that way. And the film no, doesn't. although there were some, you know there were some pivotal moments. Stonewall, the Stonewall uprising, uh, obviously was the birth of the modern gay rights movement. I mean, that was the first time that gays stood up and said, we will no longer be harassed and we're not going to let you continue arresting us um, and harassing us. But, you know, there, there were, there was gay activism before that. It just hadn't bubbled to the, to the surface the same way. And then the gay pride parades were, came out of that. And that was when people, started saying, look, we're here and you have to see us. Yeah. Now, people still didn't come out to the same extent as they were forced to with the AIDS crisis. So the AIDS crisis was sort of then the biggest pivotal moment for the rest of America yeah. because people then, as as Frank Rich says in the film, you know, and, and Lillian Faderman, the historian, they they had to recognize, first of all, the gay men who were sick and dying had to acknowledge the fact that they were sick and dying. They couldn't hide anymore. They couldn't be closeted. They had to come out. And then people who were straight uh, had to at least see and recognize the fact that people they knew, whether it was family, friends, colleagues, were were, were sick and dying and were, and were gay. Mm-hmm. So um, that, that was a, where a huge shift took place. And so I wanted to 
you know, make people aware of that in the in the film. Certainly, I mean, I think gay audiences know a lot of the history. Although I've I've been surprised at how many gay friends of mine didn't know a lot of the details that are included in the film um, and didn't know as much about the case. Um, straight audiences, I think, and certainly younger audiences, really don't know this history so well, um, if at all. And certainly younger people really didn't know how gays were um, tormented and, and, and harassed and what sort of lives they were forced to lead, uh, you know, before the 60s and, and then how it evolved from there. I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Donna Sicaro. She is the director of the film To a More Perfect Union, U.S. versus Windsor. It's a documentary that's out today. That's June 8th. Actually, it actually opened on the 7th of June, and a lot of the theaters here in, in Southern California, a lot of theaters, where they're at the Lemley Fine Arts in, in Beverly Hills. Actually, that's the L.A. Beverly Hills kind of area. Uh, also, at the, a lot of Lemley theaters, Lemley in Claremont, the Lemley at North Hollywood, the Lemley in Pasadena, Pasadena Playhouse, um, as well as down here in Orange County at the Irvine, in Irvine at the West Park theaters, as well as a whole lot of other places. You can go to perfectunionfilm.com to find out more about the film itself and about where it'll be playing. It will be rolling out across the country and some of those theaters I mentioned actually will not be opening until the 13th. I, I mentioned the one, I think, the, in Irvine. It doesn't actually open until uh, the 13th here at, uh, in Irvine. But uh, keep an eye open. And go to uh, perfectunionfilm.com to find out all that. Um, you have an amazing array of people in the film that are part of the, the telling of the story. Um, and I, I, I'm sure that that was quite a, an endeavor to get to get all the all those people, although I'm sure most of them were more than happy to be a part of the making of this film. And yeah. I'll just run through a couple. You mentioned Roberta Kaplan, obviously, Rosie O'Donnell, Frank Rich, uh, Hillary Rosen, who, uh, uh, let's see, um, Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Tuman, who's a legal analyst for CNN, and Nina Totenberg, who is a, the NPR uh, legal affairs correspondent, a lot of different people. Uh, and I, and I I say that without knowing, but I would assume they were more than happy to to be a part of the film. Uh, and you got a nice cross section of people in this. What, what was that like for you as a sort of filmmaker going out and and pulling in the people the, that you wanted to help you tell this story? Well, the first thing you always do when you're trying to figure out how to tell a story is is to figure out I even mean, after doing your research who you think will help you tell that story. And um, I prefer using self-narration so I don't I don't like using a narrator so I came up with a wish list of, of, of people to speak to different parts of of the different stories that I was trying to tell as, as I said you had the story of the case you had the story of, of each of their different lives all those behind the case um, and then um, you know there's there there was history involved and there was the political and cultural shifts involved um, and, and and actually, the case itself, you know, how the Supreme Court works, yeah. how, how a, ca a case doesn't just show up in the Supreme Court. So when you were asking me about some of the challenges, you had to figure out how many pieces of the of the of the process and how much of the process to go into because I did want to explain that, yeah. you know, because it wasn't th it had to work its way through the lower courts um, and the challenges there, and then what the actual arguments were. So legal analysts and everything else were really important. One thing that was difficult, though, in terms of getting people, was 
on the, to, to speak for the film on camera was getting people on the other side. Um, I was turned down by the, um, well, actually, just about everybody who was involved one way or the other with DOMA, uh, the Defense of Marriage Act, um, and and with in opposition on the on the Windsor case. Um, Paul Clement, who is the constitutional lawyer, lawyer that represented the bipartisan legal advisory um, council, which was the or group, which was uh, con- he was basically representing Congress um, because the government not to get into the weeds too much, but the government, uh, the president and the attorney general had decided not to defend, continue defending the Defense of Marriage Act. So the Congress had to have their own representation. So he was, he was the one who was on the other side of the Windsor case at the Supreme Court. He, he didn't, wouldn't talk to us. And then the people who, from the Congress, who were involved, the original people with DOMA in 1996, mm-hmm. Bob Barr, Sensenbrenner, you know, all, all the members of Congress then, Newt Gingrich, they wouldn't talk on camera about it. No, nobody, you know, because it's unpopular now. Um, so, which was sort of unfortunate, which was unfortunate because obviously it was the, the, the point of view, I mean, it overwhelmingly passed in the Congress in 1996. So it was the majority opinion back then. Mm-hmm. And it's not that these were stupid people or that they were horrible people. You know, so I wanted to present their point of view. I did, I was able to get, um, uh, and, and actually just continuing on that, that there were 10 current senators who signed on to an amicus brief in opposition to Windsor, and none of them would go on camera either. But anyway, um, I was able to get... Um, just one person, the, the, the founder of the Liberty Council, uh, Matt Staver, who wrote, uh, who wrote one of the amicus briefs in opposition, um, and he was, you know, he was very articulate in presenting the other uh, point of view. And I think it's important to to have that represented because there there is another point of view. Yeah. Um, it may not be the popular one or the one that um, won or the one that most people agree with. Or, or even I agree with, but as a journalist, I think you have to present the whole picture. I, I, and I see myself as more of a journalist right. than I, anything else. Yeah, I'm sorry, and, and I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's so important. This is what we're, I do feel, and I'm not going to go on a tangent here, but I, I do feel like we are losing something really vital in, in our ability to navigate issues that we have we have to confront. And one of them is has to do with uh, shutting completely shutting out points of view that we don't agree with. The, the, we're losing the whole concept, in my opinion, of free speech. Free speech is about hearing opinions and and, and uh, arguments that we might find repugnant, but we need to have those discussions if for no other reason, in my opinion, it, it, other than to just sort of flesh it out in a way so people understand why they're a repugnant point of view. And I'm not saying that the Mr. Staver was articulating a repugnant point of view. I'm just saying it does feel like why did they walk away from an argument that they were uh, that they felt so strongly about very recently? And yeah. it, and well, I, a number of them have, cha- have have also changed. You know, a number of them have evolved in their opinions, just like the rest of the country. Right. Um, and I understand that, but I still I I argued that they should explain 
the context then right and then and then understanding how they change their minds on it is just as important to represent right well and i also think that there's some part of this some part of these mostly educated people who are holding this point of view who would have would have been in the quiet of the their uh in a private setting would have been much more amenable to the idea of extending the rights of all people to get married if it weren't for a sort of a political constitu- a political attitude that they had to be against this. This sort of the shifting winds of the, of the popularity or unpopularity of this particular opinion now, and that they were, they were more beholden to that than they were to a, any kind of an intellectual or philosophical argument that they I may have that, held. That's, that's probably some of it. I mean, I think a, a good chunk of it was also just... It, um, based in religious views, yeah. and that's well, that's what that. you're seeing as you yeah. bring up the most recent uh, case. Right. Uh, at the you know uh, yeah. that that it it's being claimed to be about religious freedom, yeah. um, and and that seems to be the only real argument that um, continues to be made yeah. or put forth in opposition. Because I mean, if if the you know if the film. Um, achieved its goal, uh, which was also the goal of the case, was to show that love is love, marriage is marriage, families are families, right. um, and everybody cares about the same things. Right. Well, I'm, I'm curious, in the last couple of minutes I have with you, I'd, I really would like to sort of what's the, been the reaction so far um, within the gay and lesbian community, within the you know, sort of the general, yeah, I guess that's the question, within the gay and lesbian community about telling this, this story um, for, uh, of uh, well, to a more perfect union. Well, so far we've gotten nothing but great reviews. Yeah. And, you know, and it was in, it had a robust festival run, and we got standing ovations all over the place, which was really nice. Um, but people love the film. Edie loved the film. Edie was so happy with it. She fortunately was able to see it twice before she died. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, she saw, she saw the final cut though, actually not with all the, um, the cleaned up licensed footage in it, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, which I'm really happy that she was able to see it. She, she was very proud of it, but, you know, Edie is, uh, an icon, you know, she's a civil rights and LGBTQ icon. So I think the community is really happy to see another, great story and she's such a wonderful representative yeah. i mean she was so articulate yeah. um and so elegant and 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 just such a fighter and this little teeny woman <laughs> who was well she was 88 when she died but she was 81 when her spouse died and when she brought the case and here's this little old lady who's anything but standing up to the u.s government what yeah. a great story yeah, so i think everybody's really happy it's it's out there well, excellent. Well, it is a terrific film. It's a terrific documentary, again, to a more perfect union, United States versus Windsor. It's in theaters as of actually June 7th. We're speaking to you on June 8th. So uh, you run out and see it. Go to perfectunionfilm.com to find out where it is, where you can see it, and and a lot of other information about the film, the making of the film, et cetera, and about the people in it. Um, it's uh, Congratulations. Thank you so much, and and really thank you so much for your interest in the film. My pleasure. My pleasure. Once again, we've been speaking with Donna Sicario. She is the director of the film 
to a more perfect union, United States versus Windsor. It's in theaters. See it. Go check it out and 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 be be I would say inspired by what is possible in this country politically, socially, in all different kinds of ways, because that's what this is at the end of the day. The system through the system, the right outcome became law. So thank you. Thank you for your help, your work. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.